beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know the feeling when you've just had a delicious Thanksgiving dinner and you feel really good. You're satisfied. The food was delicious. You've had enough. Hopefully you didn't eat too much. You've just had enough. And if somebody comes with a big plate of turkey and all the fixings at that moment, how are you going to react? You're going to say, I'm not interested. No, thank you. I'm satisfied. I've had enough. It's not even tempting. You know, before the, before the banquet, before the meal, you're smelling the food and, and you can't wait to eat. But when you've had enough, it doesn't work to tempt you with more. I don't need anything more. I am content. The Proverbs speak about something radically different from that. In the Proverbs, we, we have a proverb which says something like this, to the hungry man, every bitter thing is sweet. When you're not satisfied, when you haven't had enough, when you're very, very hungry, then sometimes you're willing just to consume anything as long as it gives some kind of a sensation of fullness to your stomach. And so we read stories of people in, in times of war who were going through great famine and, and they found an old shoe and they boiled it to make the leather softer. They broke it into little bits and they chewed on it to, to put something in their stomachs because they were so hungry. Well, in our text of this morning, the Apostle Paul speaks about that feeling of enoughness, that feeling of satisfaction, that feeling of sufficiency that characterizes the Christian life and without which man in his fallenness is willing to consume anything. There's a strong correlation between our attitude towards physical wealth and physical comfort and our spiritual condition. We'll see that as we go through the text. Now, as we look at this text this morning, I have, I'm not speaking of, of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Perhaps... Some of us are thinking, oh boy, here it comes. The sermon's going to tell us that we just have to be happy and content. And when life is tough, we just got to grin and bear it and put on a good front and smile and grit our teeth and keep going. Just pretend everything's okay. Well, the sermon's not going to say that because the Bible doesn't say that. When Paul's speaking here, about being content. He's not saying that the Christian cannot cry out to God in pain, that the Christian cannot express to God and to others that there is pain, that there is discomfort, that there is need, that we seek relief. Paul does it himself. He lists great afflictions and great sufferings that he has gone through. He asks for the prayers of the churches. He says there were times when it was just too much. The suffering was more than we could bear. 
We despaired of life itself. So, so the scripture, and, and Paul, as he speaks the inspired words of God, does not teach some form of stoicism. You know, the, the, that old Greek uh, movement, philosophical movement, the Stoics, they, they taught us that, that, that to be the best humans we can be, we need to just suppress our emotions. Just, just accept. It is what it is. Things are good, that's fine. Things are bad, that's fine too. That's not what the scripture teaches. And that's not what our text is saying. Not only does the scripture make it very clear that Christians can, that the children of God can and should cry out to God in their need, in their pain, in their affliction. The scripture also tells us that we ought to be quick and willing and ready to bring relief and to relieve affliction one of another. And you see that a major part of Paul's work in his ministry was not just preaching the gospel, but also collecting funds for needy churches, for the, the saints who were in certain areas going through great suffering, through famine, and they were in need. And, and so Paul is always remembering the poor, as are the other apostles. So the scripture doesn't teach us that we just got to grin and bear it, pretend everything's okay. And the scripture doesn't teach us either that it's good just to let suffering and affliction go on. No, God's people are called to bring comfort and help to those who suffer. But the question that the text puts before us is, how do we navigate through times of pain, times of affliction, poverty, lack, how do we deal with it as Christians, as God's children? What is our attitude towards these things? Now, Buddhism and other Eastern religions teach us that the way to deal with these things is to just get rid of all of our desires. If you don't desire food, then it doesn't matter if you're hungry or not. You just don't have a desire for food. If you don't desire comfort, then it doesn't matter if you're suffering. If you don't desire health, it doesn't matter if you're sick. You just, it is what it is. You try to empty yourself of all desires and you just kind of be until finally you are taken up into the great ocean of divinity and become part of the one. Well, the problem with this false religion, as all false religions, is that it's logically self defeating and self contradictory. Do you want to get rid of all your desires so that you can live in this world and all its pain and suffering? Well, that in itself is a desire, isn't it? I desire to get rid of my desires. There's a problem built right in to this false religion. So that's not what the Bible's teaching us. The Bible's not teaching us to get rid of all desires and just kind of be. But God teaches us that the only way to deal with any situation, whether it's great need or great abundance, the only way to navigate it as a Christian is to live in contentment, to be content. Now, what's the context before we go into what that means more deeply? What is, what is the context of our text? Well, Paul is writing to the Philippians, 
most likely from prison in Rome. At the end of the book of Acts, you read that he's in Rome in a rented house for two years, and he has freedom to teach uh, and to receive visitors. Most likely written during that time, he's towards the end of his ministry, and he's looking back on the last 15 years or so of work in the mission field, and, and he notes in this chapter that Philippi has been the church which time and time again has sent him support, material support, and they've just sent him another gift. And he's very happy about that. But then he wants to make clear to them why he's happy about that. He says, listen, I'm not happy because of me. I'm not happy because I was so in need and I really want your gifts and I want your material support. It's not about me. Because, well, we know Paul, right? So often in his whole ministry, he has gone without. So often he went without the resources and the financial support which he had a right to. But he just forgot. He just he did decide to forego them, and he worked with his own hands to support himself. So, so Paul's not in it for the money, certainly not. It's not about me, he says. It's about you. It's about God. And look at verse 17. He says, you know, I don't seek the gift. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He's delighted. He's happy because the church at Philippi, is not so stuck on material wealth and material things that they just can't let it go. But moved by the Spirit of God, there is this delightful and divine Christian generosity that they make a sweet sacrifice. Look at verse 18. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. They give, even sacrificially, to support the ministry of the gospel. And Paul says, you know, that is so beautiful. I praise God for what he's doing in your lives and through your actions. When it comes to me, though, I'm not, I, I'm not speaking of being in need. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, this word content in our text, the very last word in verse 11, has the idea of enoughness of sufficiency, that you, that you really don't need anything more. Kind of like being full, delightfully full, after a nice Thanksgiving dinner. It's just enough. I can't even be tempted by more. I don't need anything. And we can see the word, there's the verb, there's the adjective, there's the noun as we go through the Scriptures. And I just want to look at a few verses with you to to see how the Holy Spirit uses this word in other parts of the Scripture. Matthew 25, verse 9. Because that's what we, we normally do. We just go look through the Scripture and see how does the, the Lord use this word in different contexts. It helps us get a picture of what it means. Matthew 25, 9. And this is the well-known parable of the ten virgins. virgins and they say uh, in verse 9, the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us, and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. That word enough is from the same word group as the word in our text, content. It's enoughness. Don't need any more. Luke chapter 3, 14. We'll see another use of the word, or one of the words in this group of words. Matthew, Mark, Luke 3, verse 14. And here, 
uh, John the Baptist is speaking to the crowds and the soldiers ask him, what shall we do? Verse 14, he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false acquisition. Be content with your wages. And that's the idea of enough, that your wages are enough. They're sufficient. I don't need more. And then John chapter 6, verse 7. We'll look at one last verse here, John 6, 7. John 6, verse 7 is on page 891. And Philip's uh, saying to the Lord, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. So they have this large crowd, and Jesus says, well, where, where are we going to get bread from to feed these people? And, and then Philip says, well, like 200 a denarii worth wouldn't be enough. And th that word enough is, is from the same word group as the word in our text translated as content, enoughness, sufficiency. Don't need any more. That's the idea. So the, the context here in Paul and the context as it's used in the New Testament in general is to coin a, a word in English, enoughness, sufficiency. You don't need any more. Now that is a characteristic of the Christian life. And, and our attitude towards the things of this world and, and whether we have enough of them or not has everything to do with our heart and with our spiritual health and our spiritual situation. We see that as we turn to 1 Timothy 6. We turn to the scripture to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. And you see that the apostle says the following, 1 Timothy 6, 6 on page 993. But godliness with contentment is great gain. There's that word, contentment, enoughness. Those are the things that belong together in the Christian life. Godliness with enoughness. For we brought nothing into the world, we can't take anything out of the world, but if we have food and clothing, we've got the basics of life. We've got enough just to live, just to kind of survive, just to be. With these we will be content. And then the apostle continues in the next verses to contrast that with the desire to not see that you have enough. The desire to get more and more and more. He says that's a trap which leads to destruction and leads away from God. So the way we see our material blessings and our material uh, wealth and uh, possessions has everything to do with our relationship with God. That's a very important thing. When we have the spirit-worked attitude of enoughness towards the things of this world, together with the godliness that the spirit works, then that makes us like Christ. It makes us incredibly generous. It makes us incredibly open-handed. It makes us willing to be like the church at Philippi, sending sacrificial gifts of love one to the other to support each other, to help the afflicted, to help the poor, to promote the spirit of the gospel. That's what it's for. What I have is for God and for others. And I'll take enough of what God gives me to just simply have the basics. That's what Scripture describes the Christian life as being like. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, then the Holy Spirit makes it 
even more clear, and he says it in so many words. Hebrews 13, verse 5, where he says the following, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake me. So the apostle says, there are two ways to live. There's the way of enoughness and the way of not enoughness. There is the way of being content with what God has given because you have God. Because he takes care of you. Because he provides what you need. And that's enough for me. Or you can live a life which pursues the things of this world. You need more money. You need more things. You need more toys to bring more joy. And so the Christian life is described in the scripture as radically different and radically against the flow of the world in which we live. Socialism, which is growing by leaps and bounds, that idea in our days, says all yours is mine. Whereas Christianity says all mine is yours. And that's why as we read Hebrews chapter 10 verse 34, for instance, we, we read about the believer's happily accepting the spoiling of their goods. When they lost everything because of following Christ, they weren't complaining, they weren't whining, they weren't upset, they were rejoicing. Well, how does that work? Well, because they had that spirit-worked attitude of enoughness in their hearts. Hebrews 10.34, let's just turn there for a second. Hebrews 10.34, and see again the contrast. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So the Christian has all this stuff and the enemy comes and hits them and attacks them and hurts them and takes all their stuff. And the Christian's reaction is not to be, wow, like I really want my stuff back. The Christian's reaction is, wow. They can take my life, they can take my health, they can take my goods, but they can't take away my Lord. I am so rich, and that wealth, the real wealth that I have, can never be taken away from me. And I feel sorry for these poor people that have all these things, because they don't have Christ. We, we have something that is better. We have something that is always enough and always sufficient. And so this attitude towards material wealth is very, very closely connected to our attitude about God and to, about, and to life in general. And it also is connected to how we see not just material things, but other things that God puts in our way, that we humbly accept them, that we're content with what God ordains for our lives. Look at 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 for a moment. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul has listed already a lot of the suffering that he's gone through for the gospel. And then in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, page 970, he speaks about one more thing. Just in chapter 12, he speaks about this 
this thorn of the flesh, besides all the other sufferings and afflictions and, and privations that he went through, there's this thorn, which we don't know what it is. We had a sermon by Reverend Verstegh a number of months ago on that, but we don't know exactly what the thorn is, but we know he had it, and we know it hurt, and we know he was pleading with God to take it away. And then what did God say? Look at verse 9 of chapter 12, 2 Corinthians. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul was saying, God, I have this thing in my life. I need you to take it away for me to be happy. And God says, no, I'm not going to take it away. You need to suffer this. Because you need to learn that to be happy, you don't need this thing given or this thing taken. You need me. And Paul, you're a great apostle. And when you speak, the very inspired words of the living God come out of your mouth and are written on the page. And you can raise the dead, Paul. But you need to learn that it's not what is added to you or what is taken away from you that will make you happy. But you will find everything in me. And Paul rejoices in that. He says, wow, that's amazing. The weaker I get, the more I suffer, the more it hurts, the more God is glorified, and the more his power shines in me and through me. When I am weak, then I am strong. That's what Paul learned. This isn't just something he he sat down in catechism class when he was first converted, and the teacher said, yeah, you're a Christian, you've got to be content. He's like, okay, Christian, content, and then he wrote down the answer on the next test. That's not how it worked. He experienced this. He learned it the hard way. He learned it through pain. You know, brother and sister, there's no other way for us as well. You know, sometimes we say, Lord, I just wish I had a little less pain, a little less affliction. If only, God, you would take this thing out of my life, it would be so much easier to serve you, God. If only you would give this thing to me that I don't have, life would be so much easier, Lord. If only you would give me a a better job or or more income, or if only you would give me a husband or or a wife or, or a child or more of this or less of that. Lord, there's all kinds of things you need to do in my life so that I can be a good child of God and a good Christian. And God says, no. You need to learn the gospel of enoughness. My grace is sufficient. No matter what happens, no matter how bad life hurts, the child of God can say, I have enough. Because I have Christ. You know, that's what divides the whole world, doesn't it? The whole human race can be divided into two groups. The, the enoughness group and the not enoughness group. The not enoughness group are, some of them are people that say they're Christians, but they're running after satisfaction. But they can't get it. They can't find what they're looking for. They strive and strive and strive, and they never arrive. And then there's the others who say, I have learned 
in whatever situation I am, to be content. So, child of God, where are you looking for your contentment? You know, here's the test. If, if, if we're not content, then what's coming up in our minds is the question or the, or, the, or the words, if only, if only. If those words are coming up in your heart and mind, those are danger signs. If only this would be different. If only that would be different. And so all the comforts and conveniences of the world, they seduce us, they call us to pursue them. And and the devil says, you know what, if only that was in your life, or if only that was taken out of your life, then you would know joy. Then you could be a great Christian and serve God, be happy and, and, and serve other people. But brothers and sisters, all of those if onlys, they're all like mirages in the desert. We see them shimmering on the sand and we think, wow, there's an oasis, there's water, and we run to them for refreshment. And we dive into them only to come up with a mouth full of hot and dry sand. Isn't that what the psalmist experienced in Psalm 73? He was looking at the world and said, you know what, God, here I am washing my hands in innocence, doing all the right stuff, obeying you, and all I do is get beat up, and all I do is suffer, and all I do is lose out. And I'm just a loser. And then I look at the world around me. They're just ignoring your law. They do what they want. And they're, they're healthy. And they've got all kinds of wealth. And they're just having a great time. And the psalmist comes this close to blaspheming God. And say, God, it's just not worth serving you. Because it hurts too much. And it's a waste of time. And it's no way to live. Until he goes to the house of the Lord. And he hears the gospel. And he sees the gospel in the sacrifices on the altar, and he meditates upon the end of the wicked. And we sang about that, the end of Psalm 73. Let's read it now, 25 and 26. That's on page 486, Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I may end up with nothing. I may end up with no worldly possessions and no health. But I have everything in God. That's where every believer has to come to. Now, I'll text here. It's just kind of a throwaway comment, actually. Paul's just saying, well, you know, he sent me this gift and it's not really about me and about the gift. It's about you. I, I've learned to be content. It's just kind of a passing comment. But it actually touches on one of the most fundamental truths of the gospel, one of the most fundamental truths of fall and redemption. Father Adam, Mother Eve, what did they say? They said, the Lord is my shepherd, but I still want, I lack, I need more. It's not sufficient. And so they pulled the breaker. They pulled the master breaker and they plunged the created world. They plunged the human race into darkness. The darkness of dissatisfaction, of discontent, of lust and covetousness. And we're all born that way. We're all born with that breaker flipped. We're all born with that default attitude towards life. I need, I want, I lack, I don't have enough. I want more. 
And we see it in kids, right? Nobody has to teach the kids to grab the toy of the other kid. No one has to teach the kids to want the lollipop of the other child. It doesn't have to be taught. We don't have to send them to school to learn these things. It comes built in. I want. I don't have enough. And what happens to us as adults? Well, we adults have it too, but we just get really good at hiding it. We get really good at camouflaging it and hiding it from one another. But it's still there. Covetousness, which is idolatry. The desire, the discontent, the dissatisfaction, which are the roots of sin and which lead to death. And so our only hope, brothers and sisters, is the same hope that is preached from this pulpit every Sunday. The only hope is that the Spirit of God comes into our hearts and changes us. That he renews us. That he flips that breaker back. And that the light of God floods into our souls and lives. And and then we don't suddenly magically in an instant become all perfect. That doesn't happen. It's a process. The Spirit begins to work in us. The Spirit begins to work on us. The Spirit leads us. The Spirit teaches us. And we learn. We learn what it is to be content. That's why the Scripture calls us disciples. Because we're learning. And we're always learning. And so we're in school right now, right? God sends us this pandemic. And the pandemic turns life upside down. A lot of these certainties of our little organized, comfortable lives and plans, they're all shook up. The holidays that we plan, boom, they're gone, canceled. Maybe we can't even get the money back from the airline. And then there's jobs that are lost. There's income that is lost. And there's all kinds of restrictions and all kinds of extra rules. Even in worship, and we have to spread out. We can't all be together. And sometimes we have to wear things on our faces. It's a test. God is teaching us. And it's an opportunity for growth, to learn contentment. What's going to make me happy? It's not that I don't have to wear a mask anymore. Or it's not that all of my other brothers and sisters are going to accept my viewpoint on the current political and and pandemic situation. What's going to make me happy is not that all of a sudden I can travel again. What's going to make me happy is not that all of a sudden I can get my job back or get a job. God wants us to think a little deeper than that. If we take a step back again from the pandemic, in all of life, all of the pain, the physical pain, the sickness, the the broken relationships, the the children leaving the way of the Lord, and all of the suffering and affliction of life, we're so tempted to say, Lord, if you would just change that, Lord, if you would just take away my pain, Lord, just take away my sickness, Lord, just, just heal my marriage, Lord, just bring back my child to the way of the Lord, oh God, if you would just do that then life would be worth living. Then I would be happy. Then I would be content. And God says, no. No, my child. That's not how it works. My grace is sufficient for you. And what I provide 
is what I want you to have. And the way upon which I am guiding you is the good way. No matter how much it hurts, it is the way that leads through the valley of the shadow of death to life eternal. And I am teaching you, my child. I'm teaching you that there is only one thing that will give you enoughness, fullness, satisfaction. That is Christ alone. Christ alone. Christ alone. That's the lesson you got to learn. That he is your all. That he is your life. That he is your hope. That he is sufficient. You know, when a sailboat is sailing through the water and the wind blows in those sails, it can easily capsize. But what the sailboat has underneath it is this massive thing going deep down into the water called the keel, I think. That's what it's called. And it, and it helps keep the boat from capsizing. The wind can blow one way. The winds of affliction. And the boat will move, and, but it won't capsize. And then the other way, the winds can blow the winds of great abundance and wealth. And it will not knock that boat of the Christian life over. That rootedness, that counterbalance, which keeps our life in equanimity. Whether it's great abundance, riches and comfort, or great pain and affliction. That supreme equanimity, that calm composure of the Christian is because of Christ. He is the rock upon which we build our life. And it is good when we are with Christ. And it is well with my soul. Even if God takes everything and everyone from me, and even if he takes my health and my life itself, it is well. God is good. He is my portion. That's where God wants you, brother and sister. That's where he wants you. He wants us to stop crying out, Lord, just change this and I'll be happy. Give me that and my life will be good. But he wants us to be driven to cry out, Christ, I need Christ. I want Christ. Give me Christ and that is enough for me. And when we have Christ, when we have the peace and power of Christ flooding our souls and filling our lives, then all the riches of this world will seem insignificant to us. And if we've got lots, we're like, yeah, okay, I have that. That's nice, but... It's nothing. I have Christ. And all the pain and poverty and affliction of this life will seem low, light and momentary. Yeah, I'm going through some rough stuff. But you know what? I, I have Christ. I have Christ. So we will drink in the glory and the grace of Christ as he comes to us in the gospel, as he comes to us in the sacrament. And we will say together with our brother Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And then we'll say together with our brother Habakkuk, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And it is Christ 
our sufficiency, our enoughness. He calls us to the table today. And he feeds us with his body and blood. And he satisfies us. And when we are satisfied in Christ, with Christ, by Christ, then every affliction and every abundance simply pales in comparison. My greatest need and longing is not that affliction be taken away. My greatest need and longing is not filled by the abundance I have. I have Christ. And Christ has me. And so, when we understand that, brothers and sisters, we can look at the world in a very different way. Let's just finish the sermon by looking at Psalm 17 for a moment. Psalm 17, the psalmist says, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm being tested. I'm being attacked. I, I need your help. Uh, look at verse 10. He's, he's surrounded by wicked people doing violence. They're deadly enemies. Uh, their hearts are closed to pity. Their mouths speak arrogantly. They're surrounding him. They want to tear him apart. He says, Lord, help me out here. Confront the enemies. Deliver me. But then look at the end of the, the psalm. He says, Lord, you know, these people, their portion, verse 14, their portions in this life. And you give them all this treasure and they accumulate it and they pass it on to their kids and grandkids. And that's all they have. They get things. Things of this life. Things which will be burned up on the great day. But what do I have? This is what I have. Look at verse 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. And that is enough. I am content. Amen.